You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning. How are you guys? It is good to be with you this morning. Man, that video, that got me hyped. Daniel sent me that at like 10 o'clock last night, and he's like, what do you think? And then I didn't sleep. I was just here. And so here we are. Here we are. I'm so excited, because, not just because that video is amazing, but because this is what Christmas season is all about. Behold, your God has come. And so we're excited to kick things off here this morning. But before I dive in, I'm just curious, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Now, I know there's supposed to be unity in the church, and we're supposed to agree and get along, but are there more, is there anything more divisive than trying to answer this question? What is your favorite Christmas movie? I'm not even going to bother you screaming it out and getting it wrong, so I will just tell you, I will just tell you what your favorite Christmas movies should be, all right? Your favorite Christmas stories. Number one, we'll go, I'll go like backwards forward, all right? Number one, A Christmas Carol. I mean, you can't talk about a Christmas story and not go classic here, right? So Christmas, I don't care which version or which iteration, which edition you like, uh, this is the newest one. It's actually a television series, but this is a great classic Christmas story. Okay, second, I'll go in second place here. I think the next best Christmas story out there is a journey. You guys are clapping for a movie. Like, yes, preach it, preacher. (laughs) Tell them about that. I know, I know about the story of there's no place like home for the holidays, making it home for a white Christmas. It is better to give than to receive. Great, great movie. And then, what's the best Christmas movie out there? Tell them what it is, right? We already know. Come on, church. We are that kind of church, all right? There, we are, uh, <laughs> yes, we are, we are, we love Elf around here. And um, on Christmas, in the uh, carols in the park, don't miss it, on December 15th, we are going to sing some carols because the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing it loudly for all to hear. Yes, yes. We recently watched that, and, uh, and my kids, they, just, they were getting more of a kick about me and my wife. Like, we were cracking up. Just, uh, we haven't watched it in a few years, and there are some scenes that I'm just like, that is Christmas gold. So I'm not here this morning to tell you about Elf. I'm not here to tell you about carols in the park or a Christmas story. This morning, friends, I want to introduce you to a new Christmas story. Actually, it's probably just new to you. It's it's not new. This actually, in fact, is the oldest Christmas story that is in existence. The oldest Christmas story that the world has a record of, and we find it this morning in Isaiah chapter 7. Let me give you a sneak peek, a quick preview If we were to have a a movie trailer of this, you would find this. Invading armies, conspiring kings, poetic prophecies, political intrigue, pregnancy announcements, and even the birth of a baby boy. Friends, the story that we're going to dive into this morning, the story that we are going to tell to kick off this Advent series, this story is called The Sign of the Sun. The sign of the sun. Are you guys ready for the story? Ladies and gentlemen, it is story time. Are you ready? Merry Christmas. Here we go. Starting in Isaiah chapter 7, we find the sign of the sun. Verse 1. Look what it says. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, 
Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. We pause right here, friends. A dangerous war has arrived at the doorstep. A dangerous war has arrived at the doorstep. Let's look at this here. At this time, the kingdom of Israel is actually divided in half. There is the northern kingdom, Israel, and the capital in Israel is Samaria. If you fast forward, if you go into the New Testament, you may have heard of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans, they're from Samaria. So that's the northern kingdom, and they do not get along with the southern kingdom. This is Judah. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. You know Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. And so here we go in the south. Civil war is raging north versus south. In the south, we have this king named Ahaz. Now, whenever I read the Bible and I look at the kings, I like to play this game. Good guy, bad guy. Okay? Ahaz. Good guy, bad guy? Bad guy. Bad guy. This guy became king at 20 years old. 2 Kings 16 tells us that he was evil from the very first day of his reign. Do you know how he began his reign? Do you want to know what he did at the festivities to mark him as king? He sacrificed his son in a pagan ritual. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy, guy, for sure. And so that's him in the south. Now in the north, we have another king, and his name is Pekah. Good guy or bad guy? Well, I'll let you be the judge. This guy used to be the captain of the king's guard until he decided he wanted a promotion. So he gave himself a promotion by killing the king. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. And so you have Pekah in the north. You have King Ahaz in the south in Jerusalem. And so this is one verse one civil war. But you notice the king of Israel, he gets a little crafty and he realizes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a superpower just over here to the northeast in Aram, modern day Syria, where the capital is Damascus. And who is sitting up there in Syria? Who's the king up there? His name is Rezin. Rezin. And I won't even have to play the game with you. This guy is a bad guy. King Rezin. And so here's what happens. We effectively have 2 verse 1. The king of Israel teams up with the king of Syria, and they say, we are going to stamp out Judah. We are going to be in league together. We will march to Jerusalem, and we will destroy it. And that's exactly what they do. They march down to Jerusalem, and they do what every ancient army does when you come to a fortified city. You don't try to penetrate it. You don't try to attack it. You lay siege to it. And so they surround Jerusalem. Nothing in, nothing out. No food going in there, which means these armies, they will camp outside of the walls, and they're just going to wait it out. And they're just going to wait until Jerusalem starves. They're going to wait until sickness runs rampant throughout the city. They're going to wait until they resort to cannibalism, and they finally open the gates because they're just too weak to defend it. And so Ahaz, he's sitting here in Jerusalem. He hears the news that these two kings are marching to Jerusalem. And look what the text says. It says, 
the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They're terrified. What condition would you expect God's people to be in here? What attitude, what demeanor would you expect to find among the king of Jerusalem and among God's people? Well, here's what we find. The dangerous situation reveals a fearful people. They're shook. Their hearts are shaking. And as we go through this passage, you got to realize he's not simply describing their fear. The, the author, he's not being objective to say, yeah, they were scared. There's an indictment here. There's an indictment. He says this dangerous situation has revealed a people, not of faith, but a people of fear. God's people are exhibiting a lack of faith because they have forgotten a powerful truth. God is with us. This is an indictment here. And then we see it with this irony. Look what he calls him. He says, the house of David. Does this resemble anything of the faith of David? Does this sound like the giant slaying faith that says, if God is with us, who can be against us? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? No, no, there's an irony here. Look at the house of David. If David was the high watermark of kings, Ahaz is not even close to this. They are trembling. They may come from David's line, friends, but they do not have David's faith. And so look what he does. Ahaz, the man who lacks faith. Look what he does in, uh, in 2 Kings 16. Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house, and he sent a present to the king of Assyria. Ahaz had a go-to. Ahaz had somebody on speed dial. He had a number on his phone for his moments of need, and his go-to wasn't the king of heaven. It was the king of Assyria. And he literally says to him, I'm your servant. I am your son. I'm worshiping you. He pays him with the treasures that were found in God's house. He's not looking to God in faith. He's looking to his go-tos out of fear. And so tell me, East Point Church, what's your go-to? What's your go-to? When the situation is daunting, when the circumstances are, in, are dangerous, who's on speed dial? Who's your first point of contact when you're in it deep? I'm curious, where do you turn when you are in over your head? You see, what we learn from this passage, friends, is that danger reveals either a heart of faith or a heart of fear. Our daunting circumstances, our difficult situation, it will show us, it reveals to us whether our trust is in our circumstances or if it's in God, our Heavenly Father and our Savior. Danger reveals a heart of faith or a heart of fear. And so, friends, this morning I ask you, Where's your trust? Where's your trust? Is it in your circumstances? 
Is it in your situations where you say, man, if the odds are in my favor, then I feel safe and secure. But if they're not, then I fear. Then I'm worried. Or is your trust and reliance on a good God who is with us always? And so no matter how this turns out, I'm good. Friends, I'm good when the bank account is high and I'm good when the bank account is low. I'm good when the market is up and I'm good when the market is down. I'm good when the fridge is full and I'm good when the fridge is empty. I'm good when my boss is happy and pleased with me. I'm also good when my boss is mad at me. When the kids are healthy or when the kids are sick, I'm good because I am looking to God in faith and not my situation in fear. Where's your trust, friends? Where's your trust? We know where Ahaz's trust is, right? 1-800-CALL-THE-KING-OF-ASSYRIA. We know what was in his heart. Danger has revealed a heart of fear. And so we have met the earthly characters. Now enter Yahweh. Look, look at the next part of our verse. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you because of this, because they are saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves. And let us set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Because they have said that, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Samaria is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. We see here, friends, that God steps in. He steps into this dangerous situation, and his prophet arrives with a message. And who is this message from? Who is it from? The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Remember, we've, we've learned. If we see all capital letters, that is their way of translating the proper name of God. This is Yahweh speaking. The God who has made a covenant with Jerusalem. The God who said to these people, you will be my people and I will be your God. In case you forgot, the people who are being laid siege to, they're God's people. And so here you have Israel, right? Israel's putting on the eye black. Samaria's putting on their pads. And they line up at the line of scrimmage. And they think they're going to crush Judah. And they look up at the line of scrimmage and they go, oh, it's actually Yahweh on the other side of the ball. Hey, hey, before you get too fearful of these people here, it's, it's the Lord speaking. This is Yahweh. He is with them. Not because they deserve it. They don't. He's with them because he's faithful to his promise forever, even when we're faithless. And so God, he sends Isaiah, the prophet, with a message of encouragement, with a message to comfort their shaking, terrified hearts. He says, 
Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Be careful. Watch yourself, Ahaz. Think very carefully how you're responding to this situation. Be quiet, Ahaz. Silence the inner turmoil. Still your anxious heart and be at peace. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. That's the message. He is calling them to respond to this dangerous situation, not with fear, but with faith. He's calling him up to have a trust and a reliance on God, not because Assyria has your back, but because I have your back. Don't fear. I'm with you. Notice he sends a message, but anybody enjoy a good visual aid, right? All of you, I know, you get excited when Sam rolls out the big white board or something, right? He sends his prophet with a visual aid. Look what he sends him with. He says, I want you to bring Sheer Jashub, your son. Any pregnant ladies in the room looking for some good names? <laughs> Woohoo! Sheer Jashub, or you can pronounce it Sheer Jashub, right? You can get really creative with it. It's powerful. But he says, I want you to bring your son as a visual aid. I want you to bring this message with him standing right next to you. Because his name means a remnant shall return. And so I want you to bring your son as a living object lesson. Because his name, his very existence is a reminder that no matter how bad things get, God will always preserve a remnant God's promise will never fail. God's word of judgment is never far from his promise to redeem and to preserve because whenever God is giving a word of judgment, it's always connected to his desire to restore. It's connected to his desire to redeem. And so God, he sends Isaiah, he says, the visual aid, I will preserve a remnant, And he says to Ahaz, do not fear because of them. Oh, sorry, God. I I thought we were just going to be wiped off the face of the earth with the siege. (laughs) Forgive me. I won't fear now. What? Easier said than done. How can you say that? They have devised evil. They have a plan. This is a coordinated attack to remove me from the kingdom and to place their own king in my place. How can you possibly say not to fear? And we'd be lying if we said we didn't agree with him. This is terrifying. From our vantage point, 2 verse 1, there is no way in the world that this ends well. But you see, we don't just have our vantage point here. God calls us up and he gives us his vantage point. Look what he says about them. He says, they're terrifying to you, but here's how I see them. These are two smoldering stumps of firebrands. (laughs) I called my neighbor that the other day just to try it on. I was like, you smoldering stumps of firebrands. And they just didn't land. So it's not a good diss, I suppose, in these days. He says these are smoldering stumps of firebrands. You think they're blazing torches. You think these are scary bonfires that will consume you. But in reality, they're just like little branches that are all but extinguished. They're mere stumps, and they are emitting more smoke than fire. They look scary to you, friends, but when you hold their little flame up to the light and power of God's sovereignty, you would understand when I say 
don't fear. Because God is in control. Ahaz, house of David, East Point Church, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Look at the transition here. He says, because Syria, because Israel, also known as Ephraim, because they have said, let us destroy them. Because they have spoken words of threats, God says now, thus says the Lord. You see the transition? Because they have spoken this, I speak thus. God responds. He responds to their, to their threats of destruction with promises of protection. And here's his promise. He says, it shall not stand. They're saying, they're talking out there, friends. It will not come to pass. Not on my watch. They think they're going to do that to Jerusalem. Not on my watch. Here's why. Look at their head. Not their literal head. This is a metaphor. These are army speak now. This is army talk. Look at their head, meaning look at their capital. Look at the source and seat of their power. Where is the head of Syria? It's resin, sitting in Damascus. Where is the head of Ephraim, Israel? It's, it's Pekah, the son of Ramalia, sitting in Samaria. Their power, their capital, the source of their security are humans sitting in a human city. And so the implied question, Ahaz, the implied question, East Point Church, who's your head? They got Syria, they got Samaria, who's your head? And we know our head. We know the source of our security and our power. It is the Lord God, Yahweh, not sitting in Jerusalem, sitting in heaven. And this realization, it should dispel fear and instill faith because God is calling us from fear to faith. Not on my watch. It shall not come to pass. And then the Lord, just because he's good for it, he throws in this little prophetic nugget, right? A little four-count nugget, right? But four-count prophecy. He says, oh, by the way, by the way, the, the, the nation that's threatening you right now, oh, get this, Ahaz, like, you won't even be here, but I'm going to tell you anyway, 65 years from now, that nation to the north that's bothering you, they're not even going to be a thing anymore. They won't even be a thing. So within 65 years, Israel will be shattered from being a people. A little prophetic nugget looking forward to 722 BC, where the king of Assyria will come and demolish Israel and remove them and scatter them and exile all over the ancient world. Just a little prophetic nugget. And so he turns to Ahaz, and he says, hey, king, here's the point that God is trying to make. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. They've spoken, but now I've spoken. Will you listen to their threats in fear, or will you listen to my promises in faith? Ahaz, in light of God's promise, give up your fear, take up your faith. If you don't have faith in God, you don't have anything at all. And so you see, friends, God calls us from fear to faith. God is calling you this morning from fear to faith. He, he says to Ahaz, do not fear because of, 
And then he talks about the two kings. I'm curious this morning, if the Lord were to show up and say to you, friend, do not fear because of, how would he finish that sentence? Brother, do not fear because of, hey, sister, do not fear because of, where is God calling you from fear and doubt and uncertainty and insecurity? Where is he calling you in your life from there to a life of faith. You know your situation way better than I do. You've already thought through the worst case scenario. You are very well aware of all that could go wrong. You know more than anyone the dangers and the daunting situations that you're facing right now. But the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you believe, truly, friend, do you believe that he has you? Do you really believe that if you have God, that if God is with you, then you already have everything you need? Do you believe his promise that God works together for good all things, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that God is big enough to handle it? See, all of those questions, what I'm describing to you is what we call faith. You see, in our, in our day and age, faith has become a buzzword. Faith is this vague synonym for positivity. Just believe. What do I believe in? It doesn't matter. Just believe. Just believe it'll all work out. That's not what biblical faith is. Faith is not just some, some dauntless optimism. When we are talking about faith here, we are talking about the object of our faith. We're talking about a trust and a genuine reliance in a person, and his name is God. For whatever happens, he's with me. He is in control, and so I trust him. Do you have this faith? Do you have this faith, East Point Church? Because if we don't, we have nothing at all. If you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> oh, it's that easy. Let me just go have more faith. No. You see, God works in us to produce faith. God works on us to bring us from greater levels or to greater levels of faith. He doesn't just say, have faith. He works in our hearts to do this, and he does the same thing here. Look at the last few verses of our story this morning. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Our last point this morning, friends, God provides the sign of the sun. God provides the sign of of the sun. He, he shows up here. Israel, or Isaiah, shows up to Ahaz, and Ahaz, he seems to still be doubting. 
He's not responding to the promises of protection with faith. He's still working on his backup plans. He's still doubting that God will come through. And so God sends uh, his prophet again and says, I'll give you a sign. What do you need to see to to stand firm in faith? What do I need to do for you so that you would truly believe that I'm with you? It can be as little or as big. It can be as high or as low. Here's a blank check. What do you need? Pause. If God shows up to you and offers you a blank check, how many of y'all are going to take it? You're lying. All right? Let me encourage you as your pastor. Take it. Right? If God is saying, I will give you a sign, you tell me what the sign is, I would take it. I'm just like, Lord, I want a big sign, right? But Ahaz is too self-righteous for that. He puts on his best king righteous face. He goes, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I will not, oh, I will not ask. I will not ask. I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. I was going crazy here. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. God, like he's lecturing God as if like, God, that is not a good idea. I'm already full of faith. I don't need a sign. Hypocrite. Liar. Full of self-righteousness here. And I love God's response. He's like, I just picture God like this. He's just, like, are you, are you not tired already from, like, wearying your fellow people? Like, you, you still have enough energy in the tank to weary me? He's like, I'm exhausted with you, Ahaz. I'm exhausted by your lack of faith. I'm exhausted by your hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Tell you what, sit there, be quiet. I'm going to go ahead and just give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's where it gets exciting. Merry Christmas, friends. Here's the sign. Are you ready? Look what he says. We're going to break it down like little by little. We're going to break down this promise that we've been quoting since we were children, but we're going to look at it with fresh eyes to understand what's going on here. Here's what he says. I'm going to give you a sign. And he starts with, behold the virgin. The prophet is sitting there. And he points to a young lady who is sitting in the throne room there. And he goes, behold, look, look at that young lady right there. The word virgin simply means young lady. He's speaking not about her experience, but about her age, okay? Look at this young lady. Behold, I want you to look at her. She is going to conceive. She is going to bear a son. She, very soon perhaps, is going to become pregnant through very natural means, okay? Nothing special here yet. Nothing miraculous here. But I do want you to think about this practically. They're under siege. Like, they're thinking, this is the end of the line. My descendants are about to be cut off. We're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And he says, just, just very practically, hey, by the way, this is not the end of the story. That young lady is going to get married. She's going to conceive. She's going to get pregnant, okay? She will bear a son. He will live. He's going to survive this. Are, he's actually going to make it to the point where he's going to enjoy curds and honey, also known as milk and honey. He's going to survive and enjoy the fruit of this land that I promised you, the land flowing with milk and honey. You're not going to starve to death in this siege. He is going to survive. He's going to enjoy the milk and honey of this land. He will live. He will grow up. As a matter of fact, that little boy is going to reach the age of accountability. 
He's not just going to be born. He's going to survive long enough to know the difference between right and wrong, okay? He's going to make it through the toddler years. And so here's the sign. Oh, friends, be with me. Here is the sign. Are you ready? Everything I just said is true. That little boy, he will be, bo- he'll, he'll be b- conceived, birthed. He's going to grow up. He's going to move from eating just milk to eating some solids. He's got some honey mixed in his diet. He's going to learn the difference between right and wrong. But before that little boy even gets there, before, just a few years from now, before he's even out of the toddler years, before he knows the difference between right and wrong, the two kings that are intimidating you, the two kings that are threatening your destruction, they're not even going to be nations anymore. In other words, let me say it this way, here's the promise. In just a few short years, the very nations that threaten you will be deserted. Here's the sign of the sun, friends. This little boy, he is going to be born. He is growing to grow up, and his life, his existence, even his very name, Emmanuel, is going to be a sign. It is going to be a living reminder, living proof that God has saved us. God is with us. We thought this was the end of the line, and yet look at this little boy. Look at, he's four years old. Remember four years ago when God made that promise, and we're still here, and hey, look, he's four years old, and those kings aren't even around. They've been wiped out. They've been taken captive. You see, friends, the sun is a sign that God is with us. The sun is a sign that God is with us. Through the sign of the sun, we're going to realize just a few short years from now, as we see every time that little boy comes over, every time he messes up my living room and puts the little blocks and Lincoln logs together, I'm going to look at that sun and go, wow, God really was with us. Wow, God really did have this situation in hand. He always has been and he always will be. This is not some vague prophet speak. This is not some vague encouragement. This is a check that God is writing. It's very specific. He says, by the time this little boy is out of the toddler years, like, you you can take this check to the bank, and it will either bounce or it will cash. I mean, there's, this is very specific because God is very specific. By the time this boy is X years old, there will be no more Israel to the north. There will be no more uh, Syria in the northeast. You will be delivered. You will know that I am still faithful to you. The sun is a sign that God is with us. And so Ahaz, do not fear. Do not fear. That's the story. That's the story. Why are we talking about this on Christmas? Why is this the way that we begin our Advent season? Well, church, I admit, we are not under siege like Ahaz, right? But we are in a dire circumstance. You see, humanity is in danger. Humanity is facing something that is very daunting, and we have been for a long time. We too, my fellow humans, right? We too are under siege. Except our biggest threat, it's not armies around us. It's sin within us. 
From the very moment that you and I are born, sin lays siege to our hearts, threatening to destroy us, threatening to ruin the design that God has made for humanity, to steal our souls and our very humanity. And so sin is leading us to, lead, to live lives that look nothing like God's design. I don't know about you, but sin, it leads me to treat people like objects and not like fellow image bearers. Ever since I was a little boy, sin, it leads me to put others, to, to put myself before others. Sin has, has taught me to, to not be a giver, but to be a taker. Sin, it causes me to do this funny thing that when I see somebody else misbehave, I, I attribute it to bad character. But when I do the same thing, you know, you get it though. I make excuses. Sin. It blinds us to all of our shortcomings, and sin puts us on a crash course with the justice of God. Because of sin, I am an enemy of God. Sin is the true threat to humanity. Merry Christmas. Sin is the real dangerous circumstance. That's bad news. But here's the good news. Just like God did not leave Ahaz alone, he's not going to leave you alone either. Just like he didn't leave Ahaz to face the dangerous situation, the invading armies by himself, God looks to you and he looks to me and he says, I will not allow you to face the sin problem on your own. And he promises protection. He promises deliverance. He promised to save us from our sin. And just like Ahaz, he gave us a sign. Just like Ahaz, he has given us a sign that we celebrate this season to prove it. And how does he give us a sign? Well, he uses one of his signature moves. God uses one of his signature moves. He uses an old familiar pattern. He also gives you the sign of the sun. Look what he says. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 21, I'll read it to you. We, had, we already read it this morning, but let's read it again. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 21, he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We fast forward a few hundred years, and this time it's not a prophet who shows up. It's an angel. And the angel looks to this young lady and he says, Behold, you will have a baby. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But have you ever thought this? Why is Jesus' name not Emmanuel? You shall call his name Emmanuel. No, you didn't. You called his name Jesus. I'm confused. Did, did they get it wrong? No, friends, here's the key. When he says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, he's not talking about baby Jesus. He is quoting the old sign. He says here, you will call his name Jesus. This is to fulfill what Isaiah 7 says. He is quoting the Isaiah passage, and by doing so, he is importing all of the meaning and all of the significance of that first birth announcement into this birth announcement. Just as the first son was a sign reminder that God is with us, so this son is a sign reminder 
that God is with us. You see, this son is also a sign that God is with us. And it says the prophecy is fulfilled. A lot of times, because we're Lord of the Rings fans or Star Wars fans, we think of prophecy as a prediction that is now fulfilled. But prophecy in the Old Testament, it's not always prediction. You see, when he says the prophecy is fulfilled, he's saying those old words have been filled with greater meaning. There is an escalation here. You thought that was special. It's now fulfilled. It is now exponentially taken to the next level. And so just like that young lady who had a baby through very natural means was a sign, this baby is even greater. It's not just a young lady. She's a virgin. She will still be a virgin when she gives birth. Miraculous. This son, yes, his name is a sign that God is with him, but even more, he is God with us. Not just his name, his very presence is the reminder that God has not abandoned us. God is with us. He gave us the sign of the Son. And so, friends, this Christmas, I want us to realize the significance of the sign of the Son. Every time you see the nativity, the manger, every time you see the lights, the tree, the festivities, remember this baby born in a manger of a virgin is himself God with us. The threat is over. The threat is over. Hope is restored. Our sin has been defeated. Put your faith in God and he will rescue you from your sins. For God is with us. Amen. For God is with us. Let's be encouraged, church. Let's put our faith in God. Let dangerous circumstances reveal not a heart of fear, but a heart of faith. Because we trust him. Because he's with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the sign of the Son. This is a tremendous story, Lord, a tremendous testament to your goodness of how you look out for us, Lord, and you don't leave us alone. And so, Lord, I pray that as we begin this Christmas season, as we begin Advent, Lord, that you would help us to remember what it's all about, that we would practice your presence, that we would remember daily that when Jesus came down, it meant God himself came down. And so would you, Lord, fix our eyes on you? Would you fix our hearts on you? Would you bring us to greater levels of faith or dispel fear from our hearts? Because you're with us and we love you, Father. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing here on the Eastern Shore. Continue your work this holiday season. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.